So how many of you believe that Jesus is coming again? All right. How many of you believe that he's coming soon? All right. How many of you know the day? I'm very glad that nobody raised your hand. The verse prior to our text says that be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. And then Jesus goes on to give this parable that we look at this morning, the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. And he tells us then what we ought to do in light of the fact that we don't know the day or the hour that the Lord will come. We need to be waiting and working using that which God has entrusted to our care. Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14. And Jesus says this, For it, and he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you, did, where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. And I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, these are words that come from the mouth of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Words given by the inspiration of your Spirit. Words given for our instruction. Oh God, we pray that you would teach us today. Guide us into your truth. Your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The parable that Jesus tells his disciples is about a wealthy man who is about to go on a journey. 
And so he gathers his slaves together and he entrusts his possessions to them. And so they are stewards of that which is the master's. He gives five talents to one. He gives two talents to the other. He gives one to a third slave. And this obviously pictures that Jesus is the one who gives to us various gifts, various abilities, various resources to use for Him until He comes again. And so while we wait for His return, we are to take that which God has entrusted to us and use it then for His glory, for His honor. I believe there are three clear lessons we learn in this parable about waiting and working. First of all, notice that God entrusts us with talents according to our ability. It would have been a great honor for a slave to be entrusted with his master's possession, especially in light of the value of these possessions. The talent, we, we look at the word talent and we think that's something, you know, you're talented. But a talent was actually a measure of, of value. Uh, a talent was the largest unit of currency at the time. And one talent may have been worth as much as 20 years wages of a common laborer. So whether it was one talent or two talents or five talents... This was a considerable amount of money. And so this man, this master who gave these gifts to the slave, he was a very wealthy man. A beautiful picture of God who owns all things, right? Now the reason why there's a difference in what each servant received is not because the master was being unfair not because the master was showing favoritism to some and, and not to others. It's because he knew as their master what each of them could handle. Notice what our text says. It's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his slaves and trusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five, to one another two, and to one one, each according to his own ability. And then he went on his journey. And so the master obviously knew his slaves very well, and he was very wise in what he gave to them. He didn't bore the one who could handle five talents by giving him one, and he didn't overwhelm the one who could handle one talent by giving him five. No, he entrusted to them that which was consistent with their abilities, each according to his own Ability. As we think about this, there are some important lessons for us, I think two at least. For one thing, we can rest in the fact that the Lord knows exactly what we can handle. So, if He calls me to do something I don't think I can do, <laughs> I need to trust Him, right? He knows me. He knows me better than I know myself. So, I need to trust Him in that. Or if I'm proud enough to think that I deserve better, that God should have entrusted me with more, I still need to trust that He knows me best. When it comes to the gifts and abilities that God has given us, He never makes a mistake. Never. 
The second implication of this fact that God entrusts us with talents according to our ability is that we should not compare ourselves with others. Do you know how easy it is to compare yourself with someone else? Do any of you do that? You start looking at your abilities and your gifts and your talents and your resources and you look at someone else and you think, boy, I wish I would have been given what they have. Wish I could do what they do. I wish I had the resources that they had. Do you know that pastors do that sometimes? You hear someone speak and you say, oh man, I wish I could preach like that. Or you look at the success of of another ministry and, and then you compare with your own and you say, you know what? It'd be kind of nice to have that kind of success in, in, my, in my life. It's very easy to compare ourselves with others. But you know what? That is not, that's not very wise. Instead of being content with how God has gifted us, where He has placed us, we can fall into the trap of thinking that it would be better if the Lord had just kind of given us a little bit greater gifts than we have. But you know, here's the bottom line. The issue is not what I would do if I was entrusted with more. The issue is what I am doing with what, what I have been given. Isn't that really the bottom line? Take, take, take money, for example. Have you ever said, if I had $10 million, this is what I would do? Huh? I'd build a, a gymnasium on the campus of the Bible school, huh? Or I'd build a sanctuary out on the property here. If I had that kind of money, this is what I would do. Do you know what? God is not concerned what you would do if you had a certain amount of money. He's concerned what you are doing with that which He's entrusted to you. It's easy to say, this is what I would do if I had this gift or this ability or this amount of money or this talent. And if you did, you might look at it a little differently. God's concerned about what are you doing with that, with I've, that which I've entrusted to you. Maybe it's one talent. Maybe it's two talents. Maybe it's five talents. But whatever God has given to us, that's what we are to use. That's what we are to use until Jesus comes again. So lesson number one, God entrusts us with talents according to our ability. The second lesson we learn is that God entrusts us with talents to be used faithfully. It's obvious that the first two slaves in Jesus' parable understood this because when they received those talents, they went to work immediately. Did you notice that word in verse 16? Immediately, the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents in the same manner, which I would take means immediately the one who had received the two talents gained two more. In other words, they didn't dilly-dally around. They didn't reason to themselves. You know, we've got time to wait. The Master's going to be gone a while. You know, we'll just kind of chill out for a while and then, you know, then we'll get at it and we'll use these talents that we've been entrusted they realized that they had been given a great honor. They had been entrusted by the Master with, with gifts that were, were quite amazing. 
And they went to work right away, using that which the Master had given to them. But besides going to work immediately, what might even be more significant is they worked consistently over a long period of time. This is seen in verse 16 where it says, took the talents and traded with them. I like how John MacArthur puts it. He says, in this context, traded carries the broad over a period Slave did not simply make one good investment and then sit back, but rather traded and retraded as long as the master was away. He may have been involved in a number of commercial ventures, some of them simultaneously. The point, however, is not in the particular type of work he did, but in the fact that he used to full advantage all the resources his master had given to him. So not just did they go out immediately, but over time, they continued to use that which had been entrusted to them that they could present to their master one day when he returned. I was thinking about it this week myself. I thought, you know, what is the greatest test of faithfulness? What is the greatest test of faithfulness? You might think it's trials or troubles or opposition. But I kind of think that the greatest test to our faithfulness is time. Time. It's one thing to start well, isn't it? And there are people who have started well in their, their service to the Lord. But it's not just starting well. It is finishing well. The test of time is, is one of the greatest tests to our faithfulness. And that's what the first two slaves did. They used what had been trusted to them until the day that the Master returned. I've told you this before, but my prayer has been, as I've gotten older, that God would help me to finish well. I don't know how many years, how many days the Lord has given to me or to any of us. But shouldn't it be our desire, Lord, help me to finish well? Because there have been many who have started well and, and fizzled out. One of the things that grieved my dad, some of the guys that he went to seminary with, who over time turned away from the truth and fizzled out spiritually. I don't want to be one of those. I want to be one that finishes well. In, in, in Acts 20, remember when Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders? He described his ministry there. And then he says, you know, I don't know what lies before me. The only thing I know is that wherever I go, there's going to be bonds and afflictions. But in Acts 20, verse 24, he said, but none of these things move me, that I might finish my course with joy. And he did. You go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, what we believe was his last writings, and what does he say? I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. And what could he say? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So it wasn't just starting. It was finishing. And there are times in ministry when it would be very easy just to check out. <laughs> When there are challenges and, and there's difficulties and so forth, there may, are times when just like, you know what? I'm getting tired. I'm getting weary. It's not an option. 
In God's strength, we continue to go on. We need to realize that the thing that is most important to God is that we be faithful. Be faithful. So God entrusts us talents according to our ability, entrusts us talents to be used faithfully. And then the third lesson here, trusts us with talents and requires a When the master entrusted his servants in this parable with his possessions, it was very clear that they would be accountable for how they used them because they still belonged to their master. <laughs> to these slaves, to, to use however they wanted to, they were stewards. They were entrusted with the, and You see that word entrusted repeated throughout this parable. And so there was no way that they could have misunderstood the fact that they were stewards. And a steward is responsible to the one who has given those resources. And so one day, the day of accounting came. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and he settled accounts with them. And for been faithful, it was a wonderful day. Because the one who had given five talents, he came and said, Master... Here's five more. And then the one that had been given two talents, he came and he said, Master, here's two more. And what did he say to them? He said to them, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your Master. He didn't say, well done, you good and successful servant, did he? Well done, you good and faithful servant. And that's the key, isn't it? Faithfulness is the key. And that's something that we can rejoice in because there are times when we may not see the kind of results that we might like to see. The world wants to measure things in terms of great numbers results, but God measures things in terms of faithfulness. And we see that here. I think of Noah. The Bible says that he was a preacher of righteousness. How many people were saved under his ministry? He was one of eight, so there was seven. And he preached a long time, didn't he? Over a hundred years? Was he a failure? No. He was faithful. How about Jeremiah? Prophet who proclaimed the truth of God to the nation and they basically ignored God sent his prophets over and over again and they basically mocked him and what happened? They were taken captive to Babylon for seventy years. Was Jeremiah a failure? He was faithful. He preached for over 40 years. He called the nation back to God for over 40 years. And so those who have been faithful servants of the Lord will hear from the Master, well done. Good job, you good and faithful servant. But notice the one who had been given one talent. He too was brought before the Master. He too had to give account of his ministry. 
The one also who had received the one talent came up, verse 24, and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. He says, see, you got what's yours. I gave it back to you. What a wonderful attitude, huh? You got what you gave me. Here it is. His master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. And notice the result. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to every has more shall be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who does not have even what he does have shall be taken away throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth this third servant I believe pictures those who are the church outwardly but have no living relationship with Jesus. There is no evidence of the fruit of faith in their lives. There is no desire to take what the Lord has given and use it for His glory. Now we know that we're not saved by our works, but where works are absent, what must we conclude? That a living faith in Jesus is absent as well. Because what does the Bible say? Faith without works is what? It is dead. It is dead. Notice how he was willing to blame others, even blaming the Lord. He says, you're a hard man. You reap where you didn't sow. And I was afraid and I went away and I I hid your talent in the ground. And here it is. Take it back. What what an ungrateful attitude this man had. One author says this slave represents a professed Christian whose view of God is corrupt because his unredeemed heart is still corrupt. He views God through the lens of his own depraved convictions. He calls the master a hard man, implying that he's a selfish man, reaping where he did not sow. And when he is called to give an account, he basically says, this, this wasn't my fault, this is your fault because of the kind of man that, that you are. But Jesus tells us what the real problem is. And he tells them what the result will be. Did you notice the words he used to describe him? Wicked, lazy, worthless. This picture is one whose thoughts and words and deeds reveal that he really isn't one of God's children. He has not experienced the grace of God, and as a result, he will experience the judgment of God. So instead of saying that this third slave is an unfaithful slave, I think it would be more accurate to say that he was a faithless slave. Because his life reveals that he has no living faith in Jesus. So we need to understand that an outward connection with the church will save no one. 
Only faith in Jesus can save us. And when we have a living faith in Jesus, it will be seen in our lives. It can't help but be seen in our lives because when we love Jesus and we've been saved by His grace, there will be a change in our lives. And we will be waiting for that day when Jesus comes again. So what does it mean to wait for that day? Sell everything and go stand on a hill and wait for Jesus to come. That's so far from the truth. It is to work. It is to use that which God has entrusted to us. Use it because of our deep gratitude for what the Lord has done to give life on the cross for us and save us. We don't know when Jesus will come again. But we know what it means to wait for that day. It means using that which He has entrusted to us for His glory and His praise. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Thank You that You provided a Savior for us in Your Son, Jesus. Thank You that You have blessed us so richly. You've given us gifts and abilities and resources to use for the furtherance of Your kingdom and for the glory of of Your name. Lord, help us to take that which You've entrusted to us. Help us to understand that we are stewards. There's nothing we have that hasn't been given from Your gracious hand. Oh God, may we occupy until You come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.